There are few things on earth that generate more conversation than wine. For many, the thirst for wine knowledge becomes an obsession, and it's hard to imagine that anyone has fully ingested all there is to know about the world's most revered beverage. We all know people who are passionate about sharing that knowledge and their opinions about wine. But we find an awful lot of the conversations about wine pretty hard to swallow. Welcome to Grape Encounters. Your host, David Wilson, his guests, and the rest of us on the team are here to show you a great time. How to have more fun with your wine. Where to enjoy wine the most. How to immerse yourself into a wine lifestyle that isn't simply about wine. So let's dive into this week's edition of Grape Encounters. Oh, you'll learn plenty, but hopefully it will be knowledge that you can really use. Not like that Latin class you took in high school. Here's your wine captain, David Wilson. And it's time for your weekly Grape Encounter. And today we're going to talk about something that has been on my to-do list for a super long time. And I don't know why it is that it takes me so long to get around to some things that I think are just such great topics for the show. We have done a number of shows over the years telling those of you who are interested in, you know, making some wine, how you can go about doing it. And you don't have to plant any grapes. You don't have to build a winery. Uh, you can get in really gently and and do some amazing things. And in fact, I would probably guess that most people who make wine do it that way. Not everybody has a winery, but there are lots of you who have gotten into the wine business. I know we have a lot of people from the business who got in and jumped in head first into it. You made some money in high tech or whatever it is, and you went out and you bought a winery. Or maybe you're a person that's just dreaming that way, <laughs> but whatever the case may be, I have got really the consummate professional with me today when it comes to purchasing vineyard land, uh, owning a winery, getting into the business, and the best part, even managing the business if you're feeling very uncomfortable about taking this giant plunge. Anyway, my guest today is Jenny Heinzen. She's from Jenny Heinzen Real Estate, which um, is here in Paso Robles. And it's a division of Vineyard Professional Services, which, by the way, does an amazing number of things. And I don't, it's got to be the most complicated business uh, I've ever encountered. Uh, other than if you're building a spacecraft to go to the go to Mars or something. Anyway, Jenny, thanks for coming in. Oh, thank you. It's great to be here with you. It is super nice to have you here. So you are one of the folks here that are uniting people with a dream. Yes. With the perfect property. Yes, I get to live the dream and unite people with their dreams. So, do you have a vineyard as well? I do. Um, our, my family does uh, in Willow Creek in the Paso Robles area. So it's a new vineyard. So it's been a long time in the planning. It's fun to see the, the vines in the ground. What's planted there? Cabernet and Grenache. We're going to talk about Cabernet and, and the Central Coast in, in a few minutes. But you started out, you went to school to get into Locally. the wine business. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yes. Cal Poly. I went to Cal Poly. Um Got hooked on the wine and viticulture minor, got hooked on the business, uh, when lived and sold real estate, specializing in wineries and vineyards in the Napa Valley. Um, so I got to do that for about 10 years and then come home. Essentially, I, I considered the Central Coast home and, um, 
Paso Robles is the land of opportunity as far as the wine business goes, in my opinion. <laughs> you know, if you don't, if you're not familiar with the central coast of California, but by the way, I'm glad that so many of you come out to visit us yes. here. It, you know, it starts down in, let's say, Santa Barbara, yep. and even to some degree down in you know, Camarillo, mm-hmm. which from here is about a three-hour drive, and it goes all the way up to Santa Cruz, right? right. And that's all considered Central it Coast. Is, yeah. Well, you know, it's really cool is when you get in a car and, and you just leave this area, Paso Robles, and you go up, let's say, as far as Monterey. It's grapes the whole way. On 101, absolutely. And it's a couple of hours of grapes the whole way. Yes. And that's just going in uh, the northern direction. If you look east or you look west, it goes on for miles. Yep. That gives you a lot of opportunity to sell. Yes, absolutely. Yes, there's a lot of a lot of grapes growing on the Central Coast. Is there a lot of property that's for sale? Yes. Yeah, not overwhelming, but the, the good opportunities are kind of few and far between as far as um, turnkey, healthy businesses. But there's a lot of different ways to approach it and you know just own a vineyard or borrowed landscaping where they they get to enjoy the lifestyle and look at somebody else's vineyard without having to maintain it or or manage it themselves so there's ways to live the lifestyle or be fully immersed in it is there more vineyard property for sale or wineries for sale and we've got to distinguish the two yes and there's sometimes it are overlap the vineyard and winery together what would be a typical size parcel that somebody would buy, what would be kind of the average? So as far as the lending industry looks at it, uh, 10 acres and above is considered a commercial vineyard. So if it's under 10 acres, it's more of a hobby. Yeah. Although you can make a lot of of wine on 10 acres, right? Right. Right. Definitely. Yeah. And you can still, you know, sell your grapes and it can be a commercial product, but just as far as that, the 10 acres is sort of the break point for when you're getting a little more serious about it. (laughs) You know, I see all the time I get emails from, you know, folks like you who are selling properties Mm -hmm. and, you know, here in Napa Valley, Oregon, even, even, you know, Finger Lakes. Mm -hmm. And I look at these properties and most of them will have some kind of a drone shot now that you could just get a a view from the top. Right. Stunning. Mm -hmm. If you haven't gone and explored a vineyard and winery, especially together, it's magical. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, the drones are really an exciting kind of newer innovation in my field. And it's, it's one of my favorite days when I get to go out and taking pictures and seeing it from that bird's eye view. It's a good reminder of how fortunate we are to be here. How many properties will have a a house on them where you can actually live on the property? Is that pretty common? It is very common. Mm-hmm. How would you compare the Central Coast to Napa and Sonoma in terms of, you know, value per acre? Oh, here? the barrier to entry in Napa is so tough. So, so tough. Um, and the firm that I worked with in the Napa Valley was, we specialized in vineyards and wineries and it was just super elite people that, that were playing that game and in that business up is there. Is that why so many big players are, are buying into the market because they've got the resources to do it? Right. So in Napa, like a starter winery is $20 million for Two million in this area, you can get a pretty decent business. It, you know, it probably needs some work or. So, so that's pretty interesting because mm. when you think about the fact that if you were to go to, uh, you know, some great neighborhood in Connecticut or Laguna Hills mm-hmm. or someplace like that, two million bucks will buy you a house. Right, that's exactly. It. In the Bay Area, that's in a lot of areas, that's the average price that's is pretty, about two million. Normal. So, what can I, <laughs> what can I get for two million bucks? You know, there's a lot of variables and it's all about location, but something pretty decent on the east side, you know, even 40 acres with most of it planted and a nice, maybe a little bit older home for, you know, $2 million. 
So let's talk about acreage that has a house on it, but not a winery on it. What percentage would you say of folks that have property that live on that property are making their wine on an offsite facility? Well, there's so many different business models. So a lot of people will just be growers and sell their grapes and then that winery takes it over from there. Um, And then there's some people that do have production facilities on their properties and then others that do the the custom crush model. But but if I came to Jenny Hines and real estate Mm -hmm. and I was looking at just this absolutely gorgeous property that's got a really cool, you know, farmhouse on mm-hmm, it or whatever, mm-hmm. but doesn't have a winery. You would be able to help me find a place to make the wine oh, if sure. I wanted to make the mm-hmm. wine. How hard is that? Uh, to find a custom crush facility or a winemaker. Right, yeah. um, it's not that hard. There's, and the, the industry here is so, um, <laughs> inclusive and there's a lot of camaraderie and people that, you know, would get excited about a project and, it's pretty easy to learn in this area. A lot of wineries, existing wineries, will make wine for other folks, right? They've got mm-hmm. some extra capacity. Right, so, exactly. And that helps them to offset some of their costs. Mm-hmm. Or like a private label for different businesses or people that you know, have a vineyard and want to have, have their vineyard name on a wine bottle. And, and there's a lot of places, we call them custom crush facilities. Exactly. But these are huge facilities. Some, some of, them. of them are very large. Yeah, and they yeah. might be making wine for... A hundred people? Right, right. A lot. Mm-hmm. I was just at a meeting this morning and it was considered a smaller one and I think they've got 12 clients. All right. We're talking to Jenny Hines and of Jenny Hines and Real Estate and also um, uh, Vineyard Professional Services. And I definitely want to get into that because that takes a lot of pressure off people when they hook up with somebody like you. And it's your husband as well, right? Correct. All right. We're going we're to be back with Grape Encounters Radio. Um, you too can be a winemaker, but you too can also be a winery owner or a vineyard owner, owner or both. And the kind of person that you want to hook up with is Jenny Hines and uh, she's a, a really big time pro in all this, highly respected, uh, not just on the Central Coast, but all over the place. And I wanted to meet her for a long time, so it's great to have her in the studio. Today's show is brought to you by Total Wine and More, and tomorrow is the big game. So if you're near a Total Wine store, uh, you can not only just pick up the, the wine there, but you can pick up the beer there, too. Uh, but uh, Total Wine and More has got anything you could possibly want for the big game. I have to call it the big game because I can't use the S word um, without violating copyright laws. But you know what I'm talking about, right? So um, take off to Total Wine and get everything that you need there. And uh, if you want to check out what they do have, just go to TotalWine.com. And we'll be back with more Grape Encounters right after this. Welcome back to Grape Encounters Radio, broadcasting from our Central Coast Wine Country studio in idyllic Atascadero, California. Grape Encounters is brought to you by Total Wine & More, America's largest independent retailer of fine wine. They carry more than 8,000 different wines from every wine-producing region in the world and offer an equally monumental selection of beer and spirits. Here's David. I'll tell you what, if you are a wine lover, then there is nothing wrong with dreaming big because if you want to take a deeper dive into 
the world of wine, maybe you don't want to just drink it. Maybe you'd like to see your name on the bottle. That's easily done, but how cool to wake up every day in a vineyard, in your vineyard home, <laughs> tend to the grapes, and enjoy getting really close to the soil and Mother Nature and making your own wine. It's not as hard as you would think. We have here one of the true professionals uh, here on the West Coast. Jenny Heinzen is here of Jenny Heinzen Real Estate. I'm so glad you're here. It's super fun to be here. You didn't bring me any wine, though. Oh, darn. I, I, know. I don't need any. <laughs> I'll, I'll come by with some later. We do have a little fun project, a side project. It's uh, not a commercial wine. It's just for fun. <laughs> Jenny, how many people come to you? Zero experience. They have no, they just love wine and they go, you know what? I've made some great money in my life and I want to do something different. Um, about half of the properties I sold about last year fit that profile. Uh-huh. Um, you know, people that have sold businesses or come from different backgrounds and just want to pursue their dream and um, like you said dream big and it's really that's the most rewarding part of my job is to, to see that come to fruition so so the part that uh, I would imagine spooks most people is okay I can afford a winery and mm-hmm, a vineyard mm-hmm. I haven't got a clue what I'm doing. It, it can be super scary. And so either vineyard and or winery are very capital intensive. So you definitely need to be smart about it and work within your means um, because you don't get paid until the grapes are sold at a wine or at a vineyard. And a, and a lot can go wrong. And a lot can go wrong. But there's crop insurance and ways to help with that. Um, and then in a winery, you make your product and then sometimes it's a couple of years before you can actually sell it and get that revenue. So um, you definitely need to be smart about it. But there's, there's ways to even dip your toe in the water and do it on a smaller scale or have a vineyard manager who takes care of things for you and, and takes a lot of the risk out of out of it. So so there are lots and lots of people out there that will hold your hand and, and yes. take, take care of it for you. Yes. They'll manage the vineyard. Right. There's, and there's a lot. I mean, there really are. There are tons of people out there. That's how they make their living. Absolutely. Taking care of it. Mm-hmm. They're not free, though. No, no. So, I mean, you can make money doing it on your own, but I always encourage people to learn first. Don't try and just do it on your own right off the bat. <laughs> so, so let's say I invested $5 million dollars. In a property, it's got a, a you know a nice uh, winery on it. It's mm-hmm. got a house, and mm-hmm. let's maybe how many acres can I get? Twenty, forty? Yeah, forty probably. Okay, forty yeah. acres. Yeah. So this is this is my property, and now I've got to prepare for the delay in getting return on my investment. Mm-hmm. How much backup capital am I going to need to be able to do that? Well, sometimes. It's- there's an existing business or at least something to help get you started. Some inventory. Well, a lot of these are, yeah. these are working right, wineries, so right. there's always something ongoing. So it depends on if you're starting the business from scratch or if you're buying some something that's there, some inventory or something that's existing. So, so a lot of, pretty much all of these wineries are going to have wines in the barrel. Right, takes, right, right. And there's also uh, the whole bulk wine market, too, where people can go and basically buy unfinished wine by the gallon and start that way. It's... Um, one way to get going quicker. <laughs> Generally, if I have an existing, uh, I buy an existing business, am I getting the stuff that's in the tanks and barrels as well, or d- is that sold off? Uh, typically, that would be part of. That would be part, part of, it. of it. It would be the business opportunity side of it. Mm-hmm. Do you have people that will come in and they'll go and they'll taste what's you know being made and go, that's not so good. And sometimes it does. It gets cherry picked and. Um, 
we send out samples and, or, you know, if somebody has a winemaker they're working with, the winemaker will come in and sample the wines and, um, depending on what they, the buyer thinks they can sell, they'll, they'll cherry pick it a little bit. And then the, the seller has to sell off the rest of it through other channels. Okay. So here's a super sensitive question. Mm-hmm. There are a lot of people out there that don't make great wine. Right. Okay, let's be honest. Mm-hmm. I don't care if it's Central Coast or Napa or Sonoma. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of bad wine out there. Mm-hmm. Do we blame it on the winery, the vineyard? I mean, there there could be a stigma with a particular winery, right? Mm-hmm. And now I come in and I, I'm determined I'm going to make great wine. Am I taking a really serious gamble because of an existing stigma that is no fault of the land, no fault of the vines, only the fault of bad winemaking? And in that situation, it's probably better to start over with a new brand. <laughs> yeah. Um, and not try and get keep something going that's never really been successful. So so but but people don't say, well, okay, this is the new Jenny Heinzen vineyard. Right. But that used to be that awful David right. Wilson Oh yeah, vineyard. that's definitely something to consider if it oh. if it does have a stigma or a bad history. The, the David Wilson wine swill. Yes, <laughs> oh, yes, yes. Terrible. But a lot of people come in and they they tear out the vines and start right. over again, right? And right now there's there was a huge planting boom in the late nineties. And a lot of those vineyards are, it's time for them to be redone. So that's, we're getting better rootstocks and clones and the knowledge in, on the vineyard side, as far as the nurseries and what they're able to provide is the quality is, is going to be incredible for this next generation of vineyards. So that's a super interesting point, because if we go back to the 70s, let's right. say, when rooted. <laughs> this area was literally just beginning. Mm-hmm. Napa, even though there had been wineries, from a commercial standpoint, they were just getting recognized with the Judgment of Paris in 76. Right. What's transpired from then to now? There's been a lot of research and, and the universities and different, um, a lot of brain power that's gone into making it what it is now. Well, sort of the gold standard of universities is UC Davis. Right, exactly. Mm-hmm. But where you went to school, Cal Poly, if we compared it today to what it was in its early days when we were first planting here, mm, it's a I mean, good, Cal Poly is a is a powerhouse It now. is, and it's a good indicator of our local industry to see what's happened with that program. So when I was there, um, when I first started at Cal Poly, it was just a certificate that you could get in wine. Um, then it turned into the minor, which I did. And then after I left, now it's a major. And it sounds like in talking to the professors that are there now, it's really impacted. It's a very desirable program. And um, they're getting a lot of accolades from all over and people coming in from all over the world for that program. And this, by the way, is a really interesting point to make to people who are interested in making wine. California has some astonishing universities Mm -hmm. that can teach you this. Cal Poly, of course, Davis, of course, Fresno Mm -hmm. is is really, really powerful. And online programs, some really good online programs as well. You can plant little virtual grapes online. (laughs) And and, and then you have to fertilize them and stuff and then you see if they'll they'll wilt online. Mm -hmm. That's terrible. But it's a a really good place to start if somebody's serious about getting into the business to start doing those courses and learning that way. And a lot of people, I've met tons of people who are from all, all over the country and they could be in their 50s and 60s mm-hmm. and, and they'll come out here mm-hmm. and they'll enroll in programs mm-hmm. and it, even though you have people like Jenny and her husband 
who can handle all aspects of what you need. Mm-hmm. It's good to know the business and just educated. so just so that you're, when you can communicate with the consultants who are helping Absolutely. you. Absolutely. Yeah. Yes. That's all right, we're going to we're going to come back uh, for one more segment with Jenny. I'm so, I'm so glad you're here. <laughs> it's Jenny Hines and uh, Jenny Hines and Real Estate and then the parent corporation is Vineyard Professional Services. Okay, so we'll uh, we'll talk just a little bit more in just a second. And uh, website for Jenny is? But my email would be Jenny at JennyHinesen.com, but it's just JennyHinesen.com. So it's J-E-N-N-Y-H-E-I-N-Z-E-N.com. All right, we're coming right back right after this. <laughs> Oh my gosh, you can feel the professionalism in the air because we've got like one of those consummate pros in here today. And it's it's a, a topic we really haven't talked about at all. You're you're thinking about getting into the wine business. Maybe you just want a vineyard, a small vineyard, maybe you want a vineyard with a winery, maybe you want to live on the vineyard, maybe you want to just get out of that awful congested city and come to a place like Paso Robles or Napa Valley or Sonoma or whatever, Monterey, Santa Cruz. You talk to Jenny Hines. And this sounds like a commercial for you, Jenny. I appreciate it. <laughs> but I but I but I really I don't think I could have possibly chosen anybody to come in and address this topic that would be better than you. You're gonna be moderating an event yes, uh, that's I'm coming excited. up. Excited. It's gonna be a really interesting panel and we get to talk about the, the sale of the Bonnie Dune brand, which I'm looking forward to. Wow. Mm-hmm. And it's uh, uh Central Coast Insights. Insights. Central right. Coast Insights. Mm-hmm. There are some powerful he- heavy hitters mm-hmm. that are gonna be speaking there. Mm-hmm. So that's going to be. Are you excited? I'm super excited for that one. I need to come up with some good questions. So, are, are you practicing in the mirror? I, I need to. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I still need to prep for that. <laughs> I, I was looking at the. Um, I'm not going to get into the list just because it's probably more confidential. But I was looking at the list of wineries that you and your husband consult with. Mm-hmm. It's a who's who. It is. It's pretty it's exciting. It's a who's who. Yeah. Wow. Yes. Yeah, so we've got over the years been able to work with some of the biggest names in Napa and then now here in Paso Robles in the Central Coast. Are you still active in Napa in some ways? Um, I have a lot of contacts there, but my business and my focus is here on the Central Coast. Do, do folks up in Napa come down here and, and buy property? Because I know there's a lot of cross-pollination that's yes. going on now, right? Yes, there's a lot of great projects. Turley Winery is a good example of a Napa winery and brand that came in and really invested in this area. So there's quite a few of those stories. Yeah, you don't really realize it, but a lot of the a lot of the big names have some properties mm-hmm. here. And what do they do? They 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 grow grapes and that they, they might end up being merged with other grapes. They would get uh what a California AVA is that sometimes mm-hmm. and it, sometimes they'll they'll still keep it labeled as Paso Robles or Monterey or Santa Barbara, just depending on the project and the target market for that. Let's turn to Vineyard Professional Services okay, for a moment. Great. Okay, Happy to talk uh, about give that. Me, give me a, a rundown on the various kinds of things that you can do for somebody mm-hmm. that they don't have to worry about. So the overarching theme is Vineyard Professional Services is a property management company. Essentially, they work like a property manager or a farm manager. So they they farm vineyards. That's the core of the business. So the, you have folks that are actually out there riding the track? Oh, absolutely. Oh, mm-hmm. my gosh. Yes, yeah. I can the day-to-day a, operations. I can drive a Vineyard track. operations. I can drive a track. <laughs> <laughs> That's probably one of the more fun jobs. Um, and then advisory, um, CPA, appraisal. There's all kinds of services within the company. But the, the core of it is the day-to-day uh, vineyard operations. So one of the 
most fearful areas of getting into the wine business is compliance. Yeah, so we do not do that, but we have some good resources. <laughs> so you, you work with other compliance people. Uh, so for regulatory items, labor laws and vineyard chemicals and all those definitely take care of that. Um, but for on the sales side and compliance, as far as like getting your wine into other states, there's companies that are very dialed in and very good at that. It's super complicated. Very complicated. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's, by the way, I, I know people, I have friends who do it themselves. Oh, that's <laughs> I don't recommend hard that. Hard to keep up on. The, it's it's. Very dynamic. So, uh, so how do we start? You said you have a mailing list of 2,000 people. These are all people who have expressed an interest in getting into the wine business. And some of them are within the wine business already. So there's maybe a a need or, or assets that they want to add into the portfolio or assets they want to sell. So, um, it's not all buyers or lifestyle type buyers, but there's a variety there. So. And a lot of people are, they're, they're sitting at the edge of the pool mm-hmm. going, I want to jump in, mm-hmm. but I'm not quite ready. So it's probably, I'm guessing for the newbie, a long process. Oh, I've had um, people on my list for years that are, are starting to now come out and look, and it does take a while to get to that point where you're ready. I, I want to talk about something. This is com- completely off the the topic that we've been talking about. But I think it's one of the most exciting things about the wine business in recent years. And we have worked so closely as a show with uh, the Wine Institute. Oh, yes. On promoting their sustainability programs. Yes, absolutely. This is a huge thing because, Mm -hmm. I mean, first of all, we're in no time in human history has so much attention been paid to taking better care of the land. Mm-hmm. And I don't think there's any industry out there that is more conscientious about leaving the land in better shape mm-hmm. or at least the same shape as it was when we planted the grapes. How big is that right now for you? It's really big. Um, one of the vineyards that I sold last year was certified organic and that was really attractive. It's a lot harder to do it that way. Um, but sustainable and being sustainably certified is um, more manageable and, and very popular, which is exciting. And there's a lot of the big wineries in this area that will not buy grapes unless they are sustainably certified by one of the local organizations here that helps people through that process to get certified. And there are terms that are, you know, we hear every day, organic. Right. One that's uh, less known to consumers, biodynamic, uh, yeah. which is a really... Very fascinating. We've it talked is about fascinating. it. And you can go uh, back and, and search on Grape Encounter's website. We've done a lot of shows on biodynamic mm-hmm. wine. But what I, what I think is super exciting is that just about 12 years ago, when I first started the show, I, I remember I would get into rants mm-hmm. about organic wines and I would go, can anybody just you know, find me an organic wine that tastes good. Right. And that's a whole nother conversation that we can have. But the sustainability is very achievable and it's very good for our land. And But my point is, is that in just a dozen years, it's completely flip-flopped. And now some of the very best grapes are being grown in a much more natural and safe fashion for the land. And so yes. is, is that something that your buyers will uh, will say I, I don't want to do anything unless the you know the it's um certified organic or um sustainable sustainable yes it's sustainable, organic yes. um comes with a very large price tag and unfortunately the grapes don't sell 
for more than regular uh, non-organic grapes. But for sustainability, it makes a whole lot of sense. And if you want organic and you're buying a land that's not been organic, it, it takes, takes time. Exactly. Time a long time. And t- time and money. But yes. lo- you know what? A lot of, lot of people are doing it. So we just got like a minute left. Okay. Give me uh, um, – f- for people – I've got people out there, there that are listening and they're drooling all over themselves right now. Um, first of all – how do we tease them and show them the range of what might be available to them? Where do they go? Where do they start? Give them, so a, give them I, an entry point. I would love to say my website. Um, you can. Okay, good. So I have a page on there that's specifically wineries for sale, and I work really hard to keep that updated and current. Um, so it's Jenny at Jenny Heinzen or Jenny And um, so that's a good place to keep up on what's available. And then I'd be happy to put you on my email list and, and that's quarterly. So it's all the recent sales that I put on there and then current opportunities and usually some education component to that newsletter as well. So, so obviously a lot of what you're selling is, are not your listings. It might be somebody else's listings. Any idea like in a region like this, how many listings there are right now? Um, it depends on how broad you take it. So if we just look at Paso Robles, there's probably about a dozen wineries and vineyards for sale it's right not now. That, that's not very many. No. And some of those are smaller and some are huge. So there's a pretty broad range. How often do you go to a vineyard that's not for sale and say, hey, I got somebody that would probably like to buy this property? I need to do more of that. <laughs> Be proactive. <laughs> yeah. All right. So uh, I, that Jenny, we're going to have to say goodbye to you. I know you've got other things that you've got to do. It's JennyHeinzen.com. Exactly. Right? Yeah. And, and again, the spelling on that is First of all, it's Jenny with a Y. Yes. And it's H-E-I-N-Z-E-N. Correct. Yes. Gosh, I so appreciate it. Thank you. And um, when when are we going to see grapes off of the Heinz and Vineyard? So let's see. We should have a little bit of a crop this year, but um, not really enough to produce. So 2021. How many years once you plant a vineyard before you start getting, it's going to be different, but depending upon the variety. Right. right. But another great thing that nurseries are doing now are putting out more mature vines. So yeah, I've seen the that. The uber vines can be ready in two or three years. Yeah, that's pretty, mm-hmm. that's pretty so crazy. That's what we did. And, 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 and what, what does a vine cost? Oh gosh, <laughs> that's a question for my husband. I don't know. <laughs> uh, you know, you see them going down the row and planting, these, right. and just like planting thousands of these things. And I'm going, oh my gosh, how much is that? Per and month? then they have to account for loss because they don't all make it. <laughs> have to replant yeah some of them pretty pretty exciting mm-hmm. it's not as easy right now to be able to plant vines in places like this because of water issues and things right. like that right? right but uh all right well uh, that will do it for this segment we're gonna come back i got some letters this uh this last week about some things that i said on the radio a couple of people got really torqued at me so i'm gonna address your rants in just a second but want to say goodbye to jenny heinzen uh, jenny heinzen real estate and and uh, vineyard professional services. It's, it's just fascinating. Even if you're, and again, this isn't a commercial for Jenny, but if if you're just fantasizing in in this direction, it's a good place to start. Mm-hmm. It really is, and it might just be fun a fun way to spend a Saturday morning. Mm-hmm. Just looking at what's available. Mm-hmm. That's uh, oops. That's going to do it for this segment, and we'll be back in just a second with the home stretch of Grape Encounters Radio. In this
this day and age, especially the last few years, when you tune in to talk radio, you are bound to hear a whole lot of contentiousness among people who are listening to principally political-oriented shows. I don't like doing that sort of stuff, and I once used to host an afternoon show that was all about politics. Hate it because people just get so mad at you. That's why I like doing a show on wine, because you don't get people all revved up and excited and upset at you. Well, that's been the case for about 12 years for me, but that ended this weekend. I mean, I I never get people writing me upset, but I upset not just one person, but at least two people over the weekend and got some interesting letters and I'm more than happy to explain what it was that I meant that might have got you all twisted out of shape. Well, anyway, last week, at one point during the show, I was talking about Valentine's Day and one of the first things that I talked about was the fact that it is one of the two big champagne holidays. Wine merchants sell a ton of champagne. People tend to really love bubbles. And I was actually talking about the fact that if you want to get into a romantic mood, bubbles will get you there a little bit faster. But not everybody's going to go out and buy champagne. There's a couple of reasons why. One of the most obvious reasons is the fact that it tends to be more expensive than other sparkling beverages. And for good reason. There's a whole lot of heart and soul that goes into making champagne. And really true champagne comes from the Champagne region of France. It is one of the country's great points of pride. It's one of the wine industry's great points of pride. Uh, It's made with an immense amount of tender, loving care. And people who love champagne and love making champagne take it quite seriously. But that does inflate the price up. And I'm not saying that the price is unreasonable, but not everybody can afford it. So I was making the point that there are lots of bubbles that are out there that if you want a sparkling experience, you can try some other things things, not the least of which is to purchase some wines that are made in the same way that a champagne is made, made from the same grapes, principally Chardonnay, Pinot Noir, and then to a lesser degree, a grape called Pinot Meunier. And you'll have uh, hopefully a great experience for less money. But the other issue is this, some people just don't like the taste of champagne and it, it comes down to the varietals of grapes that it's made from. And if you're not a fan of Pinot or Chardonnay, then there's a, a fairly good chance that you're not going to like champagne. So I had mentioned the fact that there are sparkling wines that are made from other varietals. And of course, there are wines like Prosecco and Cava that come from Italy and Spain. These are totally different varietals, and you might like those better. They're certainly going to be a heck of a lot cheaper. But also in California, also New York and other parts of the, the U.S., uh, other countries as well, there are are sparklings that are made from just an infinite number of varietals out there. And I'd even mention the fact that you might find sparkling Cabernet or Merlot or even a sparkling Syrah. And you might like it, right? Well, that was apparently very off-putting to a listener in the Napa Sonoma region. I'm not going to name him by name because I didn't get his permission to mention his name on the air, but this is what he says. Okay, man, this is harsh. Harshest thing anybody's ever written to me since I've been on the air. He says, your ignorance, oh, all caps, your ignorance is incredible. Much as you want to compare California's sparkling wine to champagne, all caps, obviously you've never been there, walked through the Crayere, 
or really experience the unique, all caps, wine that is champagne. Yes, it's only Chardonnay, Pinot Noir, and maybe Pinot Meunier, but I don't want to taste sparkling wine made from Syrah! Exclamation point. He makes a few other comments and then says, in conclusion, really, get a clue or get off the air. Man, that's pretty tough, right? Well, I think I must have read this thing about 10 times, and then finally I sat down and I drafted him a very long letter back. And I'm going to share a little bit of that with you. I said, thank you for your candid, those stinging comments regarding my most recent show. I have to say that it appears my comments were grossly misunderstood. My point was to give listeners who do not find champagne appealing some sparkling options they might enjoy. Like it or not, some people just aren't fond of champagne or perhaps have not yet developed a taste for it. But they do enjoy other bubbly beverages like cava, prosecco, and yes, God forbid, even sparkling Syrah. Some will never have the opportunity to experience the wonders of champagne simply because they will never be able to afford an airline ticket to get there. Others are put off by the perceived pretentiousness that has alienated far too many consumers unnecessarily. Now, I want to jump in here. That is precisely the point of Grape Encounters Radio. It's precisely why I do what I do, because the pretentiousness, it really does alienate a huge percentage of the population that isn't into the minutiae that just wants to enjoy a great glass of wine and talk about something other than the wine, to use it as a catalyst for great conversation. I will say this, that after sending him my letter, he wrote me a super nice letter back and he said, wow, what a response. And we corresponded back and forth a little bit and we're going to sit down and enjoy a bottle of not champagne, but sparkling together. So (laughs) that's the fun part about it. Along the same lines, I was talking also about the way that we describe certain wines and I I had mentioned the fact that some people really enjoy what some wine critics will describe as leathery, sweaty wines, you know, great, big, bold. I'm going to use the word musky wines. Remember the Cologne Musk that was so popular back in the 60s and 70s? That's really what I was referring to. But this listener, his name's Nathan Wrights. He says, I've been listening to your show, Grape Encounters, for some months now. I think you do a great job. You're engaging, easy to listen to, except for today. And he went on a little little bit, but then here's what he says. As for this week's show, nobody wants a sweaty alcoholic hovering over them. Sweaty wines that taste like leather? You're making me sick. There is nothing romantic about overwhelming, tannic, charmless red wines, much less a sweaty drunk that smells like leather. Romance requires finesse, charm, sensitivity. I'll forgive you this time, but please, I've been waiting my entire life for really good, complex red wines. And then he concludes by saying, take care and you're doing a great job. But I just want to say that those references are really poking fun at some of the metaphors that we use to describe wine. You're right. We don't want a sweaty alcoholic dripping on us. That's not romantic in in any way, shape, or form. But those are some of the terms that we use. And I was just having a little fun. And boy, I torqued a few of you. But you know, it's nice that we can have some spirited discourse 
discourse about something as innocuous as wine. So that's going to do it for Grape Encounters today. Grape Encounters is brought to you by our friends at Total Wine and More, where you can find probably any possible conceivable type of bubbly that is out there, and maybe even some sweaty, leathery wines as well. We'll see you next week. Music